0: I grew up, my dad being a pastor, I didn't want to be a pastor because of what I saw my dad go through. We integrated the church in 1979 and 54% of the church walked off and left us to die in poverty. My dad raised uh, our family of five on less than $100 a week. I went to work when I was 12 years old. worked seven days a week. I could have received government assistance to get lunches at school. I had too much pride for that. I bought my own clothes and my own shoes and my own food and learned that work is a very important thing. And it was beneficial to me because I carried that same work ethic into the business world. It served me well in making a lot of money. And then I carried that same work ethic into the ministry. But I'll make this statement, Brother Rupert, in regard to my experience in the ministry personally. I have had more days of hurt than I have had days of happiness in the ministry. Now, your experience may be completely different. We, we can't compare our experiences. I'm just speaking for me. There are some men, and some of you will be with some of these men, that the ministry is not going to hand you a fair hand. And you're not, you're not going to have some of the things that other men have gotten to enjoy in the ministry. And if you're not careful, you'll question as to why. Okay. Well, the, the, the issue you must understand is this life here is not all there is to ministry. For some of you, your greatest ministry may be in the millennial kingdom and not here. You don't know what God is preparing you for, but God is fitting you and preparing you For something great and grand, it may just not be now. So you can't measure it on that. So, with that being said, you have to consider how am I how am I going to spend my time in the ministry here, even if it doesn't treat me fairly? Well, one of the greatest things that you're going to have to learn how to do it. If you don't learn how to do this, you're not going to enjoy anything of the ministry, and that's you're going to have to learn how to preach. And for many people, preaching is more about a style than it is about substance. I had a young man, he called me one day and he, he said, I really need you to pray for me this morning. And I said, why do you need me to pray for you? He said, well, I'm preaching for the first time since my accident. I said, so what's the problem with your accident? He said, well, you know, the accident put me in a, it, it, it took a leg. And, and he said, it's put me in a wheelchair and he said, I'm I'm a very animated preacher, and he said I'm worried about when I get up and start preaching, since I can't be animated, it's really going to affect my preaching. To which I said, You need to be more concerned about the substance of what you have to say than the style with which you say it. Very few men very few men really are concerned about their substance. And there are a lot of men who can tell you, I can take this thing straight to the top and I can take it to the bottom based on my style. I would hate to know that I had that ability. I don't. <laughs> I can take it down. Now I can do that. But I can't raise it up. I just don't have that ability. So let me give you some statistics. 92% of pastors report working more than 70 hours a week. Now if you're not, if you're not a worker, the ministry is not a place for you to be. I taught my boys, and none of them are in the ministry. They're all in business and working, but I taught them, you don't make you don't make any money working 40 hours, period. You work 40 hours, you're going to be a poor man. You've got to learn to work from the time you get up until the time you collapse at the end of the day. Those are the guys that make it. For a pastor, I work between 60 and 80 hours a week every week, every week of my life. And... It's hard to get done everything that I have to do. As a matter of fact, I never get done. I just find a stopping place and get get back at it the next day. Seventy-five percent of pastors report that they have had a significant stress-related crisis at least once that affected their health. Fifty percent of pastors do not believe that they are capable of meeting their job requirements that their church has laid upon them. Forty percent of pastors report serious congregational conflict at least once a month at least once a month. 40% of pastors say they consider leaving their pastorates in the last three months. 23% of pastors indicate that they had been forced out of the ministry at least once during their ministry, while 80% of pastors say that they have insufficient time to spend with their wife and children. 80% of active pastors believe that the pastoral ministry has adversely and negatively affected their families. Now, with this being considered, if you're going to make the most of the ministry, you have to understand that to make the most of the ministry, it's going to require you learning how to preach. Now, you can learn to administrate, and you might have some element of a successful gathering of people. But when it comes to ministry, that's a totally different thing. Years ago, J. Frank Norris started a church. it was pastor of First Baptist Church in Fort Worth and then left there, I mean, didn't leave there. He, he started the Temple Baptist Church in Detroit. He was pastoring both churches at the same time, First Baptist Fort Worth and, and Temple in Detroit, and was flying back and forth every week. G.B. Vick was his right-hand man, and G.B. Vick took the church in, in Detroit, and he pastored there. I had the privilege later on of pastoring some of the people that had gone to that church in Tennessee And I asked one of the men in the church, I said, so what was Brother Vic like? What what kind of preacher was Brother Vic? He said, I really don't know. I said, you were there for over 20 years. How do you not know what kind of preacher he was? He said, because he wasn't a preacher. I said, your pastor wasn't a preacher? He said, he might preach once a month. He said, the rest of the time, we had guest preachers every single week. Every single week, we had guest preachers. Now, try to find that church today. 5,000 strong at one time, you can't find it today. Because it wasn't built on pastoral preaching. And so what we have to understand is that it's really, really important that we make the most of preaching. We make the most of preaching. Preaching, you write this down, preaching need, the preaching discourse, preacher's discourse, your discourse need not be Demonstrative and dramatic. Right. Yeah. It need be didactic. The word didactic means a discourse given with the express purpose of instructing in moral truth in moral truth. Now, there's this business of borrowing one's imagination um, is silly. The Bible has nothing positive to say about one's imagination. Caskets and boxes and dressed up goons do not effectively minister to the soul of man. It may minister to the emotion of people. But I've been at this thing for 32 years. And what I have seen is that those who have made decision based on drama, cannot be found in a handful of years. God does more through the ministry of the local church giving the gospel than He does through crusade. Bottom line. Generally speaking, those who make professions of faith in crusade cannot be found within a year. About 90% of them. Just check it statistically. And that's according to even liberal Liberal theologians giving us statistics on that issue. So in, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, I want you to look at verse 1 and following. The Bible said, I charge you therefore, thee therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who shall judge the quick and dead, at his appearing in kingdom, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come... When they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departures at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, shall give me that day. Not to me only, He said, but unto all them also that love His appearing. So let's let's preach. Uh, let's pray together. Father, Lord, we love You and we thank You for being good to us, and we thank You for Your blessings on our lives and for ministering to us in some some way today already. Last night too, and and father i love you and i thank you for the privilege that uh, uh, that pastor montgomery's given us and lord may we uh, may we use it wisely for the glory of god help us to be a, a a tool in your hand today lord help us to help some some young men and men uh, father to to get their feet under them and to, lord to put emphasis on things you put emphasis on and I pray, Father, that uh, you would do that, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love you, kind sir, for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me, you're, you're young men, fairly young men. This, will, this I, I told the guys this will be the first ever in any pulpit. Let me give you a quote. The kids from the streets don't want preaching or messages. They want what they can identify with. They want to hear about the reality of their situation, not fairy tales. They don't care if it's ugly. They just want to hear about reality. That was given by the rapper Eazy-E. Easy e died in 95 of AIDS. He should have heard some preaching. Some preaching might have ministered to him. It might have helped them in some way. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, "When I see, when I when I go to hear a preacher preach, he said, I want him to preach like he's fighting a nest of bees. That's what I want. I just want to I want to see him get at it and get with it." Richard Baxter, the Puritan, made this statement about preaching, and most of you've heard this. He said, "He said I preach as never sure if I'll ever preach again." He said, "So I preach as a dying man." To dying people and it it would serve us well to realize and understand that a lot of preaching that's done is done for the wrong reason it's done for controversy it's done for for the uh, the the drama of making profession of faith or reaching you know some kind of number it's done uh, oftentimes even preaching is done for the purpose of uh yeah, for the purpose of letting you know what I have found that no one else has ever found. I <laughs> had this guy, Brother really Clay. I was preaching in the mountains, and this guy came to me and he said, "I want to sit you down for breakfast." He said, "I've gotten some truth from the Word of God." He's a college, he was a college professor guy, you know. He said, "I've gotten some truth that you need to hear." Well, that's great. I need to hear truth, and so we sat down to breakfast. And he said, "Here's what I want you to understand." He said, if you've not suffered with Christ, you can't reign with Christ. I said, well, yes, sir, that's, that's kind of what the Bible said. Can we eat breakfast now? <laughs> and uh, he said, no. He said, here's what I'm telling you. He said, if you've not really, I'm, if you've not really applied yourself and lived for God, if you've lived a, carnally li- a carnal life, he said, at that judgment seat of Christ, because you've not suffered with Him, you're going to be wrapped in chains of darkness and you're going to be cast into eternal darkness for the thousand years of the millennial reign of Christ. I said, well, that's, that's interesting. That's, that's great. Can we eat breakfast now? So the preacher turned to me and he said, what do you think of that? I said, not much. He said, why do you think not much about it? I said, well, here's why. I said, to me, that's probably one of the most important doctrines I've ever heard. Would you agree? He said, absolutely, that's important. I said, why do you think the Lord waited 2,000 years to reveal it to a man running 50 in a town nobody knows about? I mean, some things, I don't even have to have Bible for they're just logic. And, and, and if you're not careful, you're going to get caught up in stupidity. Stuff that don't... I don't care if Adam and Eve had a belly button. I really don't care. The, the truth is, I don't care if the sons were God or fallen angels. I don't think they were, but who cares? What does that matter now? It don't matter. Well, there's this big gap theory. I don't care. I'm here. It doesn't matter. That's And if you're not careful, you'll get caught up in stuff that wastes people's time. If you're coming to church, I've got people that drive over an hour to be there on Wednesday night. They come in after having worked 12 hours, drive an hour to church on Wednesday night, and have to drive an hour back home. I don't want to waste their time, and I want them to leave having something they can plug in for Thursday. And the only thing that's going to matter is, is it the Word of God? That's the only thing that's going to help their heart. And so I've got to preach in such a fashion that God is going to take that and He's going to nourish that soul through the Holy Spirit of God that seals them the same as He seals me. And He's the author of the book, so I've got to give that and only that to them. Years ago when I took the church, we were in the book of Jonah for... A year and a half, four years. I said more about Jonah than the Lord even knew. I mean, the Father punched Jesus and said, "Did you know that?" He said, "I had no idea." A year and a half. And Brother Paul, I preached that, and I remember this one guy. I said one Wednesday night, I said, "All right, let's open our Bibles, the Book of Jonah," and I heard this, oh. <laughs> And I couldn't I couldn't just laugh. That's all I could. So he called me one day and he said, Brother Sam, he called me, he said, I'm leaving the church. I said, Well, can you tell me why? He said, I'll be honest with you. You are just a Bible preacher. That's all you are. Right. <laughs> Say it again, sir. Say it again. I said, that's the biggest compliment anybody's ever given me. He said, I knew you'd say that. At the end of your days, when they lay you in a box, somebody ought to come by and look at your kids and your grandkids and say, son, you're papo. That right there is a Bible preacher. No greater thing could ever be said. Now, there's a lot of people that say a lot about the Bible. But do they give us the Bible? That's really important to me. Do they they give me the Word of God? So let's think about some things just for, for, for quick. If you're writing down notes, if I'm going to be a preacher, if I'm going to be a Bible preacher, number one, I've got to be concerned that... What I'm going to say has got to be effectual in people's lives. I've got to be concerned. Jesus was concerned. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks? You wouldn't. He puts an exclamation point on that. It's important that we are concerned with the things that God's concerned with. The Apostle Paul in chapter number 9 and verse number 3 of the book of Romans said, I wish myself accursed from Christ for my brethren. In other words... He was concerned about people. If you're if you're going to be a preacher and you're more concerned about your performance than you are people, you need to get out. Get out. Every man that I've ever known that was more interested in performing than in the people he was ministering to did not make it. They didn't make it. And the truth is, guys that are that way, their performance isn't that good anyway. I'm being honest. It's pretty pitiful. I mean, there there are. I carry an iPad with me to church, um, to particularly the meetings. And the reason, I mean, I, I, I it's very it, it helps me. And then if I get in a meeting where it's bad preaching, I got games. <laughs> Years ago, Dr. John Phillips was in a meeting and he came in with a bunch of books. You remember this story? Some of you don't know it. So the rest of you act like you don't know it, please. So he walks in with a bunch of books. He sat down and, boy, a preacher would be preaching, he'd be taking notes. And then another preacher would be preaching, he'd be reading a book. And somebody asked Dr. Phillips, they said, Why do you take notes with some and read books with others? He said, Son, I'm an old man. I don't have time to waste. Is your, is your performance behind the pulpit, your exercising of your call behind the pulpit, is it such a lack of concern with you that it is wasting everybody's time to listen to you? Number two, if you're going to be a preacher, you don't have to be concerned with people, but you have to be concerned about your calling, and that calling has got to be a priority with you. There are a lot of men who their calling has no priority in their life. I mean, I left a very lucrative career to pursue a calling. If, if I was still interested in making money, I wouldn't be doing this. My interest was in the calling God had put on my life, and I left a career for it. And so your calling has got to have priority in your life. But then thirdly, if you're going to be a a good preacher, you've got to be challenged by the Word of God. You can't be challenged by the Word of God by reading one chapter a day. I I, I was, uh, there was a young preacher, Brother Davey, that I I, I had uh, some influence in his life at one time. I said, tell me about your devotional life. What's your devotional life like? And here's what he said. Ah, you know, I'm so busy. He said, I read one proverb a day. Guess what he's no longer doing? He's no longer preaching. You are not not going to make it as a preacher of the gospel of Christ unless you are consumed and challenged by that Bible. That book has got to consume your life. And if you are a young man who is consumed with the word of God, here's one of the things that I want to give you, and I told this to Josh many years ago. Here's one of the things that's going to happen in your life. If you're consumed with the Word of God, you are going to see things that make sense to your mind that you haven't heard anyone else say. And you're going to see some things you think in your own heart and mind that is different than kind of what you've heard. And it's going to make sense to you. That's good. It's challenging your mind. But here's what I want all of you to understand. Just because you see something don't mean you've got to tell everybody else about it. You ain't got to go tell everybody else what you think you saw. Yes, sir. Just be challenged by what you see and keep digging, keep digging and let God bring to you what he wants you to have. Now, I'll say this, you're going to have to be concentrated on some things too, number next, whatever that is. What am I going to have to be concentrated on if I'm going to be a good preacher? Number one, and firstly, I'm going to have to be concentrated on on being directed by the Spirit of God, and you're going to be directed by the Spirit of God in your secret place with an open Bible. George Whitfield used to, when he when he first got got saved or whatever, he he was consumed with books. He was consumed with Calvin. He was consumed with other books that were that were challenging his mind. He was smart, and as he read those books and really had a desire for ministry, he said it was dead. Then Whitfield made this statement. He said, It was only when I went into the secret place and I opened my Bible and I prayed over the Scriptures and consumed the Scriptures that God's Spirit lit me ablaze. You you see, it is in that that secret place with the Scriptures where God's direction from the Spirit is going to take you. Now, when God directs you through the Spirit... Then what happens is you're going to get directives from the scriptures, and as you get directives from the scriptures, there's nothing greater than developing something as God begins to feed it to you. Someone said one time to me, he said, "Brother Wells, how do you uh, how do you come up with some of the stuff you, you come up with, and and you know it's you 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 put those puzzles together, particularly in the Kings and the Chronicles, and how, how do you, how does that happen?" And I said, "I approach my text." like a cold case. And when I, when I approach a cold case, you, you go into that cold case and you start turning over every rock. I'm interested in every punctuation mark. I'm interested in every definition to every word. I'm interested in a historical background and setting. I'm interested in the names of the people that are either loosely connected to my text or directly connected to my text. I'm going to research every one of those people When you begin to do that and begin to turn over every rock, you're going to see that a skeleton of an outline drawn in black and white will start taking on color and form. Directive from the Scripture. But then to get back to what uh, was being preached on last night by Brother Bryant, consecration is excessively important if you're going to be a preacher. You're going to have to be a consecrated individual. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, the Apostle Paul said this, he said that he was a servant of Jesus Christ and every preacher is a servant, they're not a prima donna. And then he said this, he said, I am called, but I am separated under the gospel. In other words, I am consecrated under the gospel of Jesus Christ. So years ago in our meeting, and our meeting is coming up in a couple of weeks, we'd love to have you come by and be with us September 19th through the 21st. And so in that meeting we were the meeting is known for bible preaching. Now we'll we'll have a good time and we'll rejoice in the Lord and all of that but we're not going to have a service that it's not going to end with preaching. I mean preaching is primary to what we do, okay? I'm not, I'm not I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying if I'm leading something what's important to me is preaching. Okay? So preaching holds a real primary place to us. So Bible preaching. So we had this Bible preaching, and we went out back on Wednesday night, was sitting around the table and drinking coffee, and we were discussing scriptures. And there was a young, Paul will remember this, there was a young uh, young evangelist fella, And he was sitting with us around the table, and I, I didn't know him. Paul happened to know him, and I think Paul had invited him to the meeting. And so he was sitting with us, and as he sat with us, he made this statement. He said, can I say a word? And I said, sure. He said, uh, he said you folk have showed me something this week that I've never, never seen before. He said, what is that? He said that, that you can preach the Word of God, and you can make it exciting. I said, say what now? He said that you can make just the Bible itself exciting. I said, well, how were you taught to preach? He said, well, what you do is you get your thought. You, You go find a thought, and then you go find a scripture to go with your thought. And then you go and find a story that exemplifies in illustration the scripture and the thought that you had, and you put your emphasis on that story. I said, no, 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 no. He said, well, that's how I was taught. I said, well, let me ask you a question. The, the people that you hang around, and, and some of it's the bigger name people. I said, some of the people that you hang around. I said, when you get done with a meeting and you're sitting around drinking a cup of coffee like we're, we are tonight, what are you all talking about? And this is what he said. You were sitting there. He said some very carnal things. Really? I said let me if you don't mind I want to ask this question. Sometimes does your conversation gravitate towards sensual things? To which he responded with head bowed often. Now I, I don't care I don't I don't care what the noticeable results seem to be. If in the background, and I'm not even talking about struggling with something private in your own heart and mind. Men do that. Men struggle sometimes with those things. But they're fighting against it in spiritual warfare. But if you're sitting around being filthy and nasty with a bunch of other people, I have no confidence in your results. None. None. So you have to understand, consecration is extremely important. Extremely important. And you need to be more concerned, not with man's perspective of you, but God's perception of you. I remember years ago, a big-name preacher, I was sitting at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina, we were sitting around the dinner table, and a big-name preacher he was uh, on the other side of the ta- table from me, and some singers, well-known singers, were sitting there. And conversation came up about a situation, and and uh, the big-name preacher cussed real big. Everybody started laughing. Come on, preacher. I just stared. Yeah. 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 Right, Come on. Yeah. yeah. Got up from my seat, pushed the chair in, walked away. See, I'm, I'm real concerned about, about your character. If I'm going to listen to you. I'm real concerned about your character. You don't have to be perfect. You may even have some struggles. But if you're unconcerned about how you are in public around people, I'm real concerned about your private life. So let, let me give you some directives. You got your pen? Let's let's look at ten minutes. Let, let's look at your directives. What what kind of, what can I direct you in in regard to teaching and preaching? Here's what you have to understand. A lot of people say this. Well, he's a teaching preacher. Is there any other kind? <laughs> Is there any other kind? Do you realize that the New Testament gave as much credence to the teaching ministry of Christ as it did to the preaching ministry of Christ? Well, I'm, not, I'm a preacher, man. I ain't a teacher. No, you're neither. You're neither. So there is an importance in teaching that is connected to preaching. Teaching is a deliverance of instructional truth. Preaching is the same thing punctuated with a demand that you change immediately. That's the difference. All right, so that being said, how do I didactically inform a congregation what God said? First of all, you have to read and reread and read and reread what you're going to give them. Number two. You're going to have to research and research and research and research what you're going to give those people. Number three, you're going to have to be relevant in giving them what you give them. Going back to what we were talking about earlier. So, if the only thing I have told you tonight, after you have worked 12 hours changing tires at the tire store or pushing dirt with a bulldozer in 107 degree heat in the shade, you have sweated all day and you're in here in your dirty work clothes on Wednesday night and the only thing I've got to tell you is I really believe that when, when, when God got done with Adam and Eve, He stood them up and He poked them both in the belly and said, you're done and you're done and that's where their belly buttons come from. If that's all I've got to give people that have worked all day... If I am them, I ain't sitting there. There are some people that I believe are sainted. I mean, just like the saints of old, just because they have to sit and listen to you every week. Your, pur- your preaching is more like purgatory than it is paradise. It's, some of it is terrible, it's awful. I like all kinds of preaching. Some of it I like because of what I learn. And some of it I like because of you being an example of what I don't want to be. Somebody said there's two kind of preachers that will make you want to preach. One's that can and one's that can't. I say there's a third. A woman trying real hard makes me want to preach. then you've not only got to be relevant to give them something to take home, to plug in tomorrow, but you've got to reveal stuff to them. Don't assume they know what you're talking about. You, you've got to keep it to where it reveals what you're trying to say. I remember sitting in there preaching one time, and the guy took a, took a text in Song of Solomon, and I thought, man, this is going to be good. Either it's going to be very practical or it's going to be... Some kind of a positional type, typical truth. It's going to be great. And he got over there in the garden of the fruits and nuts over there. I said, oh, this is going to be great. Maybe he's going to talk about the raisin and how the raisin is brought to work. You need it? Oh, no. You know what we preached on that night? Some fruits and nuts I've met in my ministry. <laughs> For the next hour, I heard about every bad experience he'd ever had. Where's that game? Where's that game? That's right. Then you re- one of the ways you do it is repeat, repeat what what you've already said. I keep at least two series going at one time, sometimes three. Do you know what the first ten minutes of every service is? Repeat, repeat, repeat. Why? they got to remember. That's right. That's right. Now, now here's, I'm going to touch somebody's heart right here. You ready? I'm going to touch your heart. Some of you don't even remember what you preached last Sunday. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. How are they going to remember what you preached last Sunday if you don't remember? what? And you've got the notes. Right. <laughs> repeat, repeat, repeat. You know, the Word of God repeats itself over and over again. Then respond. Encourage them to ask questions. Hey, I said it. You don't ask me no questions about it. If you are too unsure about what you've said to have somebody ask you a question about it, you need not be saying it to begin with. Then when you preach, rule from the pulpit. Take the rulership. Take the charge. Listen, nobody's going to believe what you say if you're not sure you believe what you say. All right, so let me give you this real fast. Over there in our text, over there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 is Paul's protest to the preacher. I charge thee. That's what the word charge means is protest. Verse number 3 and 4 is the problem that the preacher is going to face. People are not going to endure sound doctrine. And you're there. More than ever before, you're there. You're having the minister in that. Oh, I, I'm about done. I mean, I don't have many years left. Just a few. And if my wife has anything to do with it, even fewer. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't have long to go. I'm a lot older than I look. I'm 109. Oh, no, not long. And and more days behind me, in front of me. For you guys that are coming on, God bless you. It's going to be difficult. Right. But that's going to be the problem with preaching. People are not going to take it. So what do you do? Are you going to rearrange it so it's palatable to the carnal? I just... I have trouble enough pastoring the people Jesus saved. Let alone alone the ones I save. Did you hear what I said? If all you're trying to do is preach to get somebody to make a decision on the basis of how palatable you make the message to them, oh, they're going to break your heart. Verse 5. But watch thou in all things in your affliction. Do the ministry of evangelists make full proof of the ministry. That's the prescription for the preacher. That's your job. Your job is to endure affliction. Why? Because it's coming. Right, right. Preacher, I've been, in, I've been pastoring the same church where I've been at. Preacher, I mean, I've been there 13 years. We have not had any trouble whatsoever. You're not pastoring. A right, right. guy said to me the other day, he said, I'm taking this church. I said, Why? They've never kept the preacher. They've never kept a pastor. He said, well, they kept one preacher for seven years. Yeah, a preacher, not a pastor. There's a big difference. So there's got to be all of that. Now, preaching, how am I going to preach? Well, your subject needs to be the Word of God. Your season needs to be instant. Your sort needs to be reproved, rebuke, exhort. Your sentiment as an individual needs to be long-suffering. But your subject Always, is doctrine. One preacher said this: "We don't preach no doctrine around here." Oh yeah, you do. Your doctrine is we have no doctrine. If you're not instructing, if you're only inspiring, you know, with with a shout, I'm not again that. I'm not against it at all. But every now and then, you know what you need? Hammer time. That's right. Come on, Brother Joshua. Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. hallelujah. <laughs>